Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice. And today we are hosting a discussion all about investing. So I wanted to create a podcast episode that literally could be like the beginner's guide to investing. I get so many questions about investing on Instagram. So I wanted to bring on an actual investment advisor onto the show so that we could get all of these questions that people have about investing answered. Today's guest is Delano Saporu the founder and lead financial advisor for New Street Advisors Group, an independent registered investment advisory firm based in New York City. Delano's on a mission to make quality financial investing and literacy accessible to everyone. Delano earned his BSBA in finance, banking, and portfolio management from the University of Nebraska in Omaha, and he went on to earn his MBA from the University of Chicago garnering nearly a decade of experience working in finance during and after his studies. In alignment with his mission, Delano provides free financial literacy resources, and he shares financial tips on social media and hosts a financial literacy podcast called Your Money, Your Life. You can keep up with Delano and his business on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, or listen to the weekly Your Money, Your Life podcast on Apple and Spotify. 
You can find out more about Delano's investment advisory firm at newstreetadvisorsgroup.com. In this episode, we're going to be breaking down lots of investing information in a way that you can actually understand. We're going to be talking about 401ks, IRAs, ETFs, index funds, and more. For the full episode show notes, visit yoquierodineropodcast.com slash episode 48. All right. So Delano, welcome to Yo Quiero Dinero. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't you start off with introducing yourself for the audience? Yeah, of course. So I'm Delano Sapporo, uh, founder and financial advisor at New Street Advisors Group. I'm in New York, but I work with people and clients all across the nation. Actually, I just calculated it's over 25 states across the nation I have clients in. Just a little humble brag. But back to the real ba- uh, what you asked for is my background. Um, from Minnesota originally, I you know worked, lived and worked in the Midwest actually before moving out to the East, but lived in the Midwest, was in Iowa, working after undergraduate school. I was in working in commercial banking. I didn't feel like I was challenged enough and I wanted to, to push myself a little bit more. So I went to business school and got my MBA, which allowed me to go into corporate investment banking, get into Wall Street, uh, working on mergers and acquisitions and the like, which again, was good. It was more challenging. I thought it was more conversation. It was more where I wanted to be when it came to high finance. But my passion at the back of my mind was always investing and helping people plan for their financial future. And I started writing a newsletter when I was in undergraduate school, or excuse me, when I was in business school, I started writing a newsletter. I was like, this really sparked my interest for what my real passion is. So that just led me to be like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna leave, I left banking, started my own firm, New Street Advisors Group. Um, and it's really been great. We're almost hitting the first year mark, which will be end of October, where I've been a registered advisor. Um, and it's been a really, really wonderful time. But that's kind of the, the overall quick background of, of myself and introduction. So you started your own registered investment advisory firm at the age of 30, which is just mind boggling. Um, So how did you actually learn about investing? Did you grow up in a family that talked about it? Like what, what was your relationship with money like growing up? Yeah, no, it wasn't actually, we, there was no, you know, no conversations about it. I don't think my parents, I know they don't know much about it really, to be honest, until, you know, I've kind of helped out, but yeah, there was no conversations about money besides the fact of just like try to save. Right. Um, I think that's uh, uh, that is a thing of a generational thing as well as you know a different. I think we've talked about it before, first generation immigrant um, family. So that also may have played into the fact that they didn't really understand things with kind of stock market investing, um, assets, you know, passive income. That's all stuff that has to be you know sought out to learn. You can't just like know it in the back of your mind unless somebody either teaches you or you seek it out yourself. So growing up, there was no conversations about it. I just kind of found it on my own when I was just, you know, reading some books. Uh, I just ended up reading a book. One was called How to Be Richer, Better Looking or Something Than Your Parents by Zach uh, Bizonet. Uh, but I just started reading and, and really just became entrenched with this. I'm someone that's very competitive. So I played college football, I played sports, but I was looking for another avenue outside of sports to be more of a competitive person and, and grow and develop personally. And I found out about investing in personal finance and business. And after reading it, I actually ended up having a stock market challenge in one of my classes um, in undergrad at University of Nebraska, Omaha, where like, they were like, hey, you know, everyone gets like $100,000 of paper trading money, so fake money, and pick some stocks, and whoever wins at the end of the, the quarter gets a prize. And I think I came in like third or second, but I was really entrenched with it, because every day the market would move, different things would happen. And this was actually during, you know, I graduated in 2012, so this is during the financial you know, crisis. The market was like not that great at that time, uh, for the most part. Um, so 
it was quite interesting just like learning about how stocks move, what makes them move. That's really fueled my passion. So that's like kind of how I really got interested in. And then it just branched off from there. I started reading more books, watching documentaries, reading books on Warren Buffett, all these different things to really just like grow that burning passion for me that was like finance and investing. So that's kind of how it came about. Awesome. That's so interesting. And so when you decided to make the leap from working in corporate to doing your own thing, like what does that actually entail? What did you have to do as far as like licensing, certifications, you know, education, all that stuff? For sure. For sure. Specifically being a registered investment advisor. Um, again, I'm a, a fiduciary in the sense, I'm hundred percent a fiduciary. So I actually just took the series 65 certification, which allows me to be a registered investment advisor myself and my firm registered to do financial planning and give investment advice to my clients. Um, you're right. That is a certification. Other people do like brokers and insurance licenses. I don't have any of those. Uh, that's not my cup of tea. Um, so I think for, for people to really, for the base level, people understand how to go out on your own. I think one thing people understand is like, saving like right so when i was in banking like i guess friends and other people would make fun of me because i've always been a tight pocket person i've always been frugal <laughs> and like people make fun of me. i was like there's there's something bigger for me that i'm gonna do so i would always save everything like i just always been that way and i've never i'm pretty low-key low maintenance like i don't need a lot to be honest like that's why new york works perfect for me people are like it's too small it's whatever if you give me a box a wi-fi and my laptop i'll survive like i really don't <laughs> need much else um and so I was just like, you know, saving all my money. But so when I left banking, I literally could have went, you know, years or so without ever making the income and been totally fine because I'd just done that great of job of saving because I'm just like that type of person, even living in New York, years or whatever, even a year and a half. And I was like, you're right, that's just, you know, so you have to save. The first thing I'll be is save so you can go out on your own. And then you have to figure out what it takes to to go out on your own. You have to set up your business, you have to register your LLC, which I did. You have to, you know, do the website and all that stuff. I think that stuff is important, but it's really business development and getting people to understand how you can help them and solve problems for them. And that's really what I, I you know, aim to do and hope and have been doing for people. Um, but that's, the, I think the base level things is, and a confidence in yourself. I will say that is a big thing because I honestly don't, like follow other like financial people i follow you obviously but like <laughs> other than like in general i don't follow other advisors i don't follow other financial people because i don't but i don't think you have to really believe in yourself right i just like to have my own, my own mindset of what i'm doing i know what it is that i'm doing and i don't want it to be clouded or i'm not comparing myself to anyone else or what they're doing i'm not trying to be goldman sachs or anything my firm is what it is and it's grown tremendously so you have to have confidence in yourself because there'll be a lot of people that will say different things or want to give you advice that's unsolicited slash not, not really tailored to what you need so i just like block all that out focus on what you're doing that's really the, one of the biggest things really confidence in yourself because people will tell you a lot of stuff you go on your own that it won't work because one they can't do it so they'll like try to you know uh, project that on you right so uh. i think that you have to have confidence 100 in yourself you have to save money to be able to prepare to withstand stuff. So before I continue rambling, that, those are the basic things I would say to, to really go out on your own. I have to agree with everything that you're saying. And um, I love the fact that you talked about like not comparing yourself to other people because comparison is definitely so easy to do, especially with social media. It's um, very easy to start feeling like, you know, I could be doing more, I should be doing this. And then you can start spiraling into this mentality where you're not even truly operating from a place of like authenticity right because then you start trying to like mimic what you see versus who you actually are so i love that message um one thing that i also wanted to touch on is you know as someone who is clearly not an old white dude right you're a 30 year old nigerian man helping people how to invest like 
how what has that experience been like? Because I feel like there can also be like a lot of people that are like, what the hell do you know, dude? Like, why are you yeah. giving me advice? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, luckily <laughs> I haven't like run into that um overtly. Like, you know, luckily there's been a lot of great welcoming from people, referrals, but I do know my niche of people that I like what I do and, and come to me for that. So I do know that niche. I'm not reaching out to people I know that would not want to to work, so I don't even waste my time. But you're right. I think I, again, that goes back to the confidence. I know that I bring value. I know that I know investing. You know, I think we've been tricked a long time to think that it's just like you said, you know, older white men, beards, whatever, the old guard <laughs> that knows about this stuff. And like, honestly, they don't. When I, I luckily, well, you know, I, it was even being on CBC. It was a great opportunity. We're all, when it comes to investing, it's really interesting. We're all, we have our inclinations. We have our ideas and thoughts and our framework. And sometimes, most of the time you're right. Sometimes you're wrong, whatever. But yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting to see that I, I just liken back to the whole confidence thing that, you know, 100% know what I'm doing. I don't feel the imposter syndrome because again, I'm not comparing myself to these other people. I don't yeah. follow or watch what they do. I just kind of focus on what me and my clients are, are doing. And that's really where I sit. Um, but yeah, I think definitely confidence yourself. I, I love, I, I just fear feel that we should all really believe in what we're doing and not have any fear in just putting yourself out there and and just trying to help it and, and learn you can continue to learn I, I don't think I know everything uh but I'm, I'm continuing to learn as well and that's what I try to strive to do every every day that's awesome so speaking about fear um I think investing tends to generate a lot of fear in people especially like yeah. new investors are like what the hell is this thing the stock market everybody's telling me I should get involved I don't even know where to start so I feel like a lot of people become investors without necessarily realizing it, especially if they have 401ks or 403bs or something that through work and they sign up. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times people don't even know like what the heck these accounts are. So can we first talk about what the difference is between like a workplace uh, retirement plan like a 401k or 403b versus an IRA? Yeah, 100%. So yeah, you're right. A workplace retirement plan, you have your 401k, 401ks, 403bs, or whatnot. Those are employer-sponsored plans. So you're only going to have be a part of those plans if you are with an employer, correct? So like you have, you know, you work at a corporate America. If you work in corporate America, you have a job. They're like, hey, you can be part of our, our benefit employee package. And with that, you get to contribute to a 401k or 403b. So in that, that's where you have that. And those are good in the sense that, you know, it allows people to not even think about it and put money away for retirement. So I do like that. On the flip side, you could also and should also have individual retirement accounts. So this was started by the government to allow people another way to save because they realize, all right, 401ks may not always cut it, right? If you actually run the numbers, you know, even if you put, you know, money in your 401k for a long time and you're getting just market return, um, you may not have enough. You need to squirrel money in other ways. So that is why the individual retirement accounts have, you know, were created to give people another way to save for retirement. So you have, you know, the pre-tax being traditional IRA and the post-tax being a Roth IRA. And people think like some people, I've sometimes gotten questions of people like, oh, since I have a 401k, I don't need an IRA. No, you certainly do and should if you can contribute to an IRA as well as your 401ks. 401k, I think I really like it more just for the match. Like if you're getting an employer match, that's where it's really, really helpful. If not, um, you're putting money into indexes, which again, if that's your risk tolerance that you just want index market return, totally understandable. But if you want a little bit more of, you know, risk reward, have someone manage it, that's where the IRA comes to play. Um, and you're able to, you know, buy different securities, whether they're indexes, stocks, that's where you can kind of do have a little bit more room to do that. And 401ks usually have just um, 
uh, 20, 25 indexes that have been decided by your employer and the plan uh, sponsor, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab or whatever. And so that just kind of uh, boxes you in there. But again, contributing to retirement is good no matter what. You have the traditional IRAs, pre-tax, $6,000 annual contribution limit. You can do less, but you can only do 6,000 per year as of now, and the Roth IRA the same. The traditional IRA is pre-tax, can give you tax deductions for contributing to it. And the Roth IRA, all that money goes pre, uh, after tax. Uh, there's no tax um, implications because you, you already paid your tax um, when you contribute to a Roth IRA. So that's a long-winded breakdown of it, but hopefully um, people understand that, you know, retirement in, in themselves, those accounts are good, contributing to them, letting the money grow, think more long-term and not so much short-term as we've seen a lot with people trading these days, which is okay, but still think long-term. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so that's a great initial breakdown. Who is actually eligible for an IRA? Yeah, good question. You know, pretty much everyone. So, but we will talk about the differences in that. So traditional being the pre-tax, everyone's eligible for it. Um, Everyone can contribute um, in that that sense, right? And the the Roth, which is the after-tax account, um, to contribute to that, you have to be making, as of now, less than 139000 139, in modified adjusted gross income for the year 2020 to contribute directly to a Roth IRA. Uh, but you can do a backdoor Roth, which is I've been doing for some of my clients, meaning we contribute to the traditional IRA. We then convert that money into the Roth IRA through a conversion form and distribution form where you, you know, obviously you make the conversion from the pre-tax money into the after-tax money. So you will pay the tax on the amount that you can contribute into the Roth. But then now you have a a backdoor Roth where the money grows tax-free at that time. So um, everyone's eligible for these. Uh, You have to be, you know, not a minor uh, to have an actual account, but you can have a custodial uh, traditional IRA. But everyone is eligible for these. But there are stipulations between, you know, if you can contribute directly to a Roth, if you make over that 139000 you may have to do a backdoor Roth. And traditional IRAs, um, everyone, pre-tax IRAs, everyone is eligible for that. Okay. So basically, you just have to have earned income, whether that's from a W-2 or you could be self-employed, as long as you can show where that money's coming from. Like you can't, can you, if you don't have a job, right, but you have a spouse that works, can you also have an IRA? Yeah, that's a good question. If you file jointly and you're showing, like you said, that income, yes, you could. Um, I guess if you're filing on a single basis, then you wouldn't be able to, like you said, you have to have earned income. That's what you were getting at. Yeah, you have to have earned income, have a wage to have these IRAs, 100%. So okay. yeah, that is a great, great point. Definitely earned income is a good, that's why when, when, you know, one of my clients has a custodial IRA for his minor son, that's like, you know, whatever, five, six years old, but um, he's paying him as a model. So that is earned income. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Um, but yeah, you're right. hundred percent earned income is the big, is the big key there for, for people to be eligible as well. Okay. Fantastic. So let's go back to the 401ks. When I first opened mine, you know, many, many years ago, I've done rollovers. Maybe let's talk about rollovers for a second, because, you know, when you talk about 401ks, obviously they're tied to an employer, but if you leave that employer, can you take that money with you? And how does that process work? Yeah, hundred percent. So a lot of people forget to do this, right? Like it's a good point. Like, and a lot of my clients, have, we've been able to do a, a ton of rollovers. So people forget to do the rollovers. So like, let's say what happens when you forget it. One, you're leaving your money in there. It's in that index or whatever you were contributing to, and it's sitting there. It's unmanaged. You can't contribute back to it because you're no part. You're not no longer a part of that employer plan. So money's just literally just sitting there. It's not being watched. You never check it. People can literally go five, ten years not even checking it. Another thing. 
if you don't check it and you're not responsive to like ever the statements or anything, it actually goes into a sheet mint where the, the state treasury will take it over and you have to get it from them instead of your 401k. That's like after like five or 10 years of non-activity that can happen. So that, that's the downfalls of not rolling it over. But like you mentioned, yes, if you leave an employer, you definitely want to roll your 401k into an IRA. It's what you know the government allows to do. There's no tax implications for direct rollovers. You can go pre-tax, goes to uh, 401k that was you were contributing on a pre-tax basis, goes to a traditional IRA, which is a pre-tax individual retirement account. If you were doing some 401k Roth um, contributions, then you uh, direct rollover those portions of the funds into a, into a Roth IRA so yes, you definitely want to do this. What this allows is for, you know, again, no tax application rollover, allows you to resume contributions. So you can, if your, your budget allows you to start resume, resuming contributions to your retirement fund and then also the investment option. So now you can go back in there and actually invest, manage your portfolio, have someone manage it. So that's why the benefits of rolling it over is to not forget about, you know, leaving those funds there. I think it also makes everything organized, you know, where everything is, you can check it. That's what I do for my clients. Make sure we do our rollovers, have everything organized in a centralized basis to be able to manage the funds correctly. Awesome. Okay. So let's say I've had three jobs. I left those three jobs. Would I then have to roll over each of those 401ks into a separate IRA or can I lump all that stuff together? Yeah, great question. Yep. And you can lump it all together. It doesn't count towards contribution limits. Direct rollovers, you can do as many as you want in a 12-month period, direct rollovers. Um, and again, like you mentioned, it doesn't count to contribution limits. You can put them all into the same IRA. Um, and, and there is no, again, no tax implication for those rollovers, but you can definitely put them into the, all into the same IRA. doesn't count to your contribution limits for the year. Okay. Fantastic. Cause I'm thinking like, oh my God, do I have to have like a bunch of IRAs, a rollover IRAs now to keep track of? So it doesn't sound like that's the case, which is great. No. Okay. So when I first opened my 401k, I am presented with this assortment of investments. Don't know what the hell they mean. So I see <laughs> terms like a balanced fund or a growth fund or a large cap fund. What the heck does this stuff mean? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. It's, it's really just different options on, like you mentioned, balanced may have a, a be, good, uh, a 50, 50 balance of equities and, and fixed income, a growth fund, maybe more towards equities and growth stocks, but really they're just different ways of getting asset allocation for your money. So if you're younger, um, twenties, thirties, you probably want to have more equity, a, a fund that has more equity related. So usually in those target funds, like the target 2055, the target funds are looking at when you should be retiring. So what they do in these target 2055 or 2065 funds, they manage the money in a sense of they'll rebalance it as when you get older. So at first it'll be heavy equities, maybe 90% equities, 10% fixed income. Then as you stay with the company, you're aging, the fund switches to more like 60% equities and 40% fixed income, fixed income meaning bonds and stuff that is more um, less riskier, if that makes sense. Um, so all these different funds are really to say, if you're like looking for someone, don't put your money. I've seen some people that put their money in like all like 20 different funds. Like it doesn't make sense. It's already diversified due to the nature of it being a, a fund, an asset allocation fund. So really just pick one or two and do it based on your age, based on your risk tolerance, um, and make sure you're in the fund. So if you're younger, you're okay with being, you know, in longer equities, you can do a fund that's like, you know, 90% equities, 10% fixed income. And that could be like a target 20 fund or just like a growth fund, but you don't need to put it in like a million different uh, funds because they're already diversified just by its nature of it being an index fund, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's dive into this topic of funds. Um, 
some of the big buzzwords we hear are like index funds and ETFs, mutual funds. Can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between these? Yeah, so index, you know, can be, you know, mutual or ETF, but an exchange trade fund is just like, like the name says, it's a, a pool of securities that, you know, tracks an index. So an index is really just um, a way to track either a sector or, you know, an index is really just tracking a basket of securities in the sense of it could be a sector, it could be a certain, you know, tech technology or whatnot, uh, the market itself. Uh, so you have the S&P 500 index, which tracks, you know, those, those standard poor S&P 500 um, companies, right? You have the Dow Jones index. So you have that tries to give you a breadth of what the market is doing. Um, so that's what the index does. It just tracks a certain area, right? And ETF is a way to actually buy into that. And it trades like a stock. An exchange traded fund is um, a basket of securities that tracks a certain index or a certain sector. Um, and it trades like a stock. So you can actually buy it and trade it the same day, or you can buy it and, and trade it a few days later or whatever, but it trades like a stock. A mutual fund is similar. It pulls monies together uh, of people, and it also can track an index or secure, it can track a basket of securities. But this doesn't trade like a stock because you only can trade it at the end of the day. So if you bought a mutual fund, you have to, when you sell it, you have to wait to the end of the day, the close of uh, the market day for it to actually sell. So it doesn't trade like a security. So it has less liquidity in the sense that you have to, you know, wait for it to um, close a business day for it to actually sell off or to buy it again or whatnot. But so I say all that, say this, you know, they add, people like them because they add diversification in the sense that you're, you know, exposed to a lot more. So if you buy an index on like the technology sector, that index may have like Apple in it, you know, Microsoft may have Shopify, may have all these different companies, but you're not ex just exposed to one company. So you have a little bit risk off in that situation. You can take a little bit of risk off because you're exposed to a lot more uh, as, as opposed to just have a direct pure play on just one company. So people really like that because of the, the diversification. It can be less risky in those sense. Um, but and then less risk, worse, uh, less, uh, more risk or less risk or less reward in, in some cases as well. So that's the, kind of the other side of the coin there. But that's why people like indexes. And that's a little bit of overview of them as well. Okay. So is there a way to tell what you're actually buying? Because, you know, a lot of people are kind of unfamiliar with the structure of ticker symbols. And like, if you can identify if you're buying an index fund versus a stock or a bond, is there a way to tell the difference? Yeah. So, you know, when you look up the ticker symbol, meaning the, the way to identify the security that you're buying, it'll say in the in there, if it's an ETF, if it's obviously if you'll know if it's a single company, but it'll say, you know, next to it, like if you go into like my clients use a Charles Schwab app. So if you go in the app and you're looking at a security, um, it'll say right next to it, if it's an ETF, it has to identify itself. It'll say next to it, if it's a mutual fund or whatnot. And you can look in within it, like if it's an ETF or a mutual fund, you can look at the top 10 holdings. So you can see what that index is holding, what that ETF or mutual fund is holding. You can look at the top 10 holdings of it. You can look even more and see all the holdings of the prospectus, which I know uh, people have asked about. But yes, you can 100% see what you're buying based on, if you just literally just type in the ticker symbol, it'll, it'll, it'll identify itself being an ETF, being a fixed income. You can look at the, if you do a little bit more digging, you'll see the holdings, you can see what it's holding. Um, so that's kind of how you see exactly, you know, what you're, what you're kind of buying in that situation. Got it. Okay. So you touch on perspective sheets and I definitely want to expand a little bit more on that. So what 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. What actually is it and how do you read one? Yeah, I mean, it's just letting investors know, you know, what they're buying, you know. So if you're in an index, you're going to get a prospectus and it's letting investors know what they're buying from, you know, what the index is holding, what the returns are, uh, historical returns and historical returns aren't indicative of the future. But it lets, you know, investors get the prospectus, especially if you're in a mutual fund, to understand the breadth of the security of what they own, right? So it's going to go over literally everything from the holdings, net inflows, net outflows, inflows and outflows, meaning money's coming into that fund and money's going out. Um, you know, it's going to show the risk rate weighting. It's going to show, you know, what the holdings are, maybe how the holdings of that fund has changed over over the past year. Um, so the perspective is just a good way for, you know, clients or people that are invested in that fund to understand more about it. Um, how you read it, I mean, if you just, it sounds weird, but literally just like reading through the document, um, you know, if you if you want to from head to toe and, and understanding it fully, but it, it's just giving you another, it's it's a less summarized, the full detailed version of everything about that fund. Whereas you can get the summary based on just like clicking around in like a, when you search the ticker symbol, that gives you more of the summary, but if you actually get the perspective. That's the full detailed version of everything about that fund. Okay. So I'm thinking like, you know, when you go on Amazon and you're searching for a product and you want to find out all the stats, all the details, what size is it? You know, can I fit this couch through my door? It's kind of the same concept. You, yeah. you are really just understanding the full details of what you're buying. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yep. Okay. Excellent. So one other thing that I want to ask about, I hear a lot about um, actively managed versus passively managed funds. Can you talk about what the difference is between those? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So actively managed, you're going to have um, a lot of, you know, movement in the portfolio balance, you're going to have um, a lot of 
it's really just going to be more like like the word says. It kind of sounds weird. Actively managed. It's going to be actively managed. They may switch in and out of, of different securities more often. Whereas the passively, you know, managed fund, it's really just going to buy an index and kind of let, probably more like buying just a market index and, and just kind of letting it sit there. Right. It's going to not not too much movement in what the holdings are. Not too much movement. It's just getting you the market return um, and not looking to exceed the market based on like different movements in, in, in what you're buying. So that's kind of the difference in the actively managed. Um, and it's, it's def, definitely just a function of people's risk tolerance. If you, you're looking to get a little bit above market return, you might be more actively managed. For my clients, I'm actually actively managed in the sense that, you know, we don't, that doesn't mean trading every day, but it does mean we're in, you know, different securities, whether they're, you know, stocks, whether they're indexes, and we're looking to, you know, do, do better than, you know, market return uh, in that sense. And some people just want market return just based on their risk tolerance. Some people want uh, to try to get a little bit better there on that sense. Um, so that's, that's um, if you've been in growth stocks this year, you've definitely handily beaten the market, right? The market's like seven, you know, 5% this year. And like, while growth is up like 20, 20 some percent. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the play there between actively managed and passively managed. Okay. And there's typically a cost associated with the, the actively managed funds that might be higher versus a passive yeah. one, right? Just because you have to pay someone to make those decisions versus just relying on, you know, a computer. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is. And obviously that's, you know, how I myself get compensated is I'm actually investing for my clients and, you know, balancing their portfolios, you know, rebalancing, you know, get, making sure that they're buying and selling at the right times based on my research. And so, yeah, there is a hundred percent a fee associated with that. If people, yeah, I actually talked about it because some people like are really fee, they hate fees, <laughs> which <laughs> I know there's like a lot of, which is, I get it. But people like really hate fees understood. Some people like understand, hey, I want more, so I will pay for this, right? Um, I want to do this, so I want to pay for this. Other people like they just want to have lower fees because maybe the I some people's a lot of the coaches that have told that fees are bad, which it, it depends on the person, right? Fees have to be associated with if the person sees a value in what's be, being managed, then that's where it makes sense, right? Someone just wants market return passively and they want the less expense ratio fees for whatever that that makes sense versus someone that may want um, a little bit more active management. They want to talk about the different securities. They want someone that's balancing it. They want more research. They want to ha- try to have more pop um, in what they're getting for their portfolio. Then those fees come in. So yeah, there is a difference between actively managed, which are maybe higher fees uh, in some cases versus passively managed as well. Got it. Okay. So for somebody who's past the point of investing in ETFs, index funds, they're ready to start buying individual stocks. How do you actually go about choosing a good stock? Like what should you be looking for? Yeah, there's different types of analysis that people do. So the fundamental analysis, which is like looking at everything about the company from the financials, meaning the balance sheet, the income statement, the cash flow statement, uh, to the management team, to the strategy, to the to the competitive um, industry environment. So it's like a top-down analysis and, and all that stuff. That comes into the fundamental, the, the metrics, like is it more expensive, meaning the price to earnings. So the price you're paying over, uh, divided by the net earnings that the company is providing. So there's so many different fundamental metrics that have to be looked at. Um, and can be looked at in a fundamental analysis portion. There's also technical analysis, which is people are looking at the charting um, and how the, you know, the, the stock is charting the trends, the different things, is it going above or below the 50-day moving average or whatnot. So you know, I'm less of a technical analysis person since I'm more of a long-term investor and I look more at the fundamental analysis, um, looking at the company, looking at the rate metrics, the ratios, looking at you know, their balance sheet, their income statement, looking at the management team, looking at the strategy of the company. Those are, those are big, huge things as well. You know, you can do that 
by, you said, going out of Yahoo Finance um, or wherever you, you know, get your, you know, your ticker symbols. All that information is literally there. You have to, you can go, SEC has all the filings for companies. Public companies have to file quarterly reports, annual reports, and that's all there. They have earnings calls. They have so much. The information is public. It's really public. The reason why companies go public is so there's no lack in transparency. So investors know exactly what the company's about. They can get all the information they need, and the market has to get it all at the same time. So it makes it fair and efficient markets for people. Um, but yeah, picking stocks is easy. I think a lot of people just pick it based on like emotional attachment. I've had, you know, clients, people might never ask me, like, should I buy the stock because I bought this shoe or because I did this <laughs> or that? I'm like, I just, I, I don't think that's the best way to go about it, especially with your retirement funds. You want to find the best securities that you can. Um, and then, you know, after that, I think people have like this emotional attachment to stocks and they like, they like it because of this or that. And then if you have more play money after you've matched out your retirement funds, then you can start doing that. But I think you really got to stick to what makes sense in my estimation. That's how I go about it, obviously, as being a, a manager of funds. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I look at it. That makes sense. So I feel like, you know, a lot of people, when they're thinking about buying stocks, especially with like this boom of retail investors through, you know, apps like Robinhood and all this stuff, they just start buying stocks because it's trendy, right? Because Tesla's in the news or because Apple's doing a split or whatever. But should people, if they don't have the technical background or knowledge to do all this type of analysis, should they start from a place where like, you know, I buy a lot of Apple products, so I'm going to invest in Apple. Like what, what advice do you have for people that don't want to do like the technical analysis? Um, if the people doesn't want to do the analysis, <laughs> that's great. I think most people don't, right? They don't want to do the analysis because we are, everyone's busy. Everyone has their lives. It's actually a lot of work to stay on top of this in the sense of, you know, understanding the market flow and then be not, not attached and emotional. Like yeah. are the biggest things in, in this, like when people work hard for money, so that's why so many people are afraid to invest because like what they always say like, what if I lose it all like one anyone that's invested over a long time has never lost all their money that's a, a, a myth but two I guess if you invest the wrong thing right that that's only the only point but you just invest in the market over a long period of time no one's ever lost their money doing that um so to to to, to answer your question Greed and fear play a big part of this. So I think people don't want to do that in research. People can't unattach greed and fear from this, which is super hard for like 99% of the general population. Then you should not, you should actually have someone that's a professional do it. That's why I do it for, you know, a lot of my clients, over 165 people. Because greed and fear, un, un, ignorance in the, in the sense of what you're investing in without doing the research is going to be painful for you. Like it's just not, it's not going to be a good look because the market's going up. People like, they have this FOMO, they have this greed thing, like, man, I should buy, buy. Everyone, their friends talking about how they just made this much money or someone saying they just made this much money in Tesla or this or Apple. And they're like, oh, wow, really? That's when people start buying. Then when they already heard it from someone else, that's like exactly the wrong time, right? You shouldn't be buying at tops. You shouldn't be selling at bottoms. Then when, you know, things go the other way, people's fear kicks in. It's, it's really hard for people to unattach that and they just sell. They want to sell at the bottoms. What, what people should do is get someone that's professional, that's unattached. It just wants them to grow their funds and do the best that they can for long-term wealth and prosperity to manage it for them. Uh, especially if you don't like most people work other jobs, they're not finance professionals. That's when you just kind of, you know, let someone else handle that. And that's kind of what I, I like doing that for my clients. So I want to ask about fractional shares. Got it. That's something super popular. A lot of people are buzzing about it. So what exactly does that mean? And how do you get involved with that? Do you think it's a good where it's a good place to start for people who 
you know, want to get a little bit of experience in the market, but don't necessarily want to overcommit? Yeah, great question. Yeah, I think, um, so fractional shares on the definition portion is just, you know, instead of you being able to buy, so Amazon's trading at like, what, 3,500 per share right now or something around that nature. And not everyone just has 3,500 to be able to buy Amazon. So a fractional share allows you to buy a part of a share of a stock that is less than the full share, which, um, so you can buy a part of a share of a full stock that's less than a full share. So you can buy, you know, $100 worth of Amazon and you have your share of the stock that's less than a full share. So you have the commensurate value uh, there. So it's become more popular. Like you said, I think Robinhood was one of the first to be able to allow it. Now, like all the other brokers have, Schwab is allowed it. They, they call it the Schwab stock shares or something like that. Slices, stock slices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, all the big brokers are starting to allow it because it allows retail investors, meaning retail, meaning people that are institutions. So literally like people like, you know, that are buying stocks and through like Robinhood or whatever, allows those people to, to get more involved. Yeah, I think it's good. I think if you want to be own a part of a good company, you know, you should do that. And if you couldn't buy Amazon because it's thirty five hundred, Berkshire Hathaway's A class or B class share is like a thousand dollars, or excuse me, a hundred thousand per share, <laughs> and he's never yeah. going to do a stock split. So if you want to buy a part of these big companies, it allows you to do that. Uh, these you know companies that have been performing, um, it allows you to do that. So I think it's good. I do think people also get fixated especially in this current time frame, which I understand I'm part of this because I'm turning into a talking head and, and being able to talk <laughs> about this stuff. But people get fixated on stocks that it's like, it's the path to wealth. It's really not. If you can't buy a fractional share of Apple that's now trading at 120, 100, whatever, 107 bucks, you really should just focus on income first, right? Like that's where people get like so sucked into like, it's a FOMO thing. Now everyone's buying stocks. It's cool. I, I get it. But if you're like getting fractional shares of, of companies that are like under 100, 200 bucks, people should just really at that point focus on income because it's not going to make you rich to just own something, even though it sounds cool. Like I own Apple. It's really, you should have more income so you can save more, you invest more. You know, if you make, what is the math on it? 10% on a $10 is only what, $1. Whereas on $1,000, it's $100. 10% on $1,000, $100. So we really want to make more money so your money compounds more. But, you know, fractional shares are good. Um, but I just don't want the message to get lost in, in there. Yeah, I love that. I think th- what fractional shares serve for me as a purpose, it's like just if you want to start getting to know a company and seeing how they move over time, like it's a good way to get a little bit of exposure to them without like over committing, right? Yeah. That like that's I feel like it's just almost play money, you know, because you're never going to make enough money, you know, buying a $10 slice of Apple or, you know, a $40 slice of Amazon to actually retire. Mm -hmm. It's just getting you comfortable with seeing your money move in the market without having to make like a huge investment. That's a good point. Yeah, I actually forget because yeah, people like said, people are sometimes worried and, and don't understand it. So you're right. If you're playing with a little bit less money, you get a fractional share, it can allow you to get more comfortable. I do think that's correct in the sense that people can get comfortable investing, which is something that I think I have to give credit to Robinhood and in, in the sense of that like a lot of millennials, like you said, people from diverse backgrounds, everyone's like in, gotten in. It's democratized. They call it democratizing finance or investing. So everyone feels like they can be a part of it, which they should. 100%, I'm 100% behind that. Because I don't want, I want everyone to feel like they should be a part of this. And it's, it's great to see everyone kind of learning about it, literacy increasing via social media, via things that you're doing, letting people know stuff that they didn't know before um and people feel empowered about that and they definitely mm-hmm. should actually 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, so one more question before we wrap this up. So obviously, if, you'll, if you've been watching the news at any point in 2020, you know the market's been acting cray. Okay, so this year is definitely like giving me a lot of 2008 vibes. I don't know how, you know, how, what the long-term perspective is for what's going to happen in this country when it comes to our economy and all that stuff. But what exactly is happening in the stock market right now? Because for the past week, we've seen these tech stocks taking a huge hit after like riding all-time highs. Do you have any thoughts as to why? Like what is happening? Yeah, good. I actually talked about this on CNBC Fast Money yesterday. So you're right. It's been a volatile you know, market environment based on we're in the pandemic. We had, we're in a recession. But, you know, people forget that we were up. Like if you pull the chart out, like we're only down about 10% from our highs. If you pull the chart out, five, six months, six, since March, we were, and went up, what, 60%, 70% since the March lows. And so people forget, it's, uh, the market has been treated unfairly in the sense that people only remember what the market's done for them lately, which is funny, we talk <laughs> about it in like NFL or in sports, they only remember what you did lately. Yeah, we're down 10% since, and that's if you pull that back, what, since uh, a March, you know, March 23rd lows, we're up 60% since then. If you're down 10%, you're still up 50, whatever the, the mass that comes out to. But so people, you know, again, that fear comes in. People really, you know, freak out about a, a pullback. But I think the pullback and the correction is healthy. Tech stocks have been, you know, they went parabolic. They went really sky high based on, of, you know, what we're seeing, you know, the stay at home and all those different plays. So now we're seeing, you know, a little bit of pullback. People taking profit. You know, a lot of people that were, you know, either swing trading institutions, a lot of people are taking profit right now. For a longer-term investor, and I talked about on this fast money, it's good opportunity now to possibly if you like certain names that have come back and pulled back to to be able to buy at these discounted prices in comparison to what we were at a week ago because you know the story hasn't changed for a lot of these things like netflix is still being you know putting out great content they pulled back around eight nine percent in the last five days still putting out great time they just signed a deal with prince henry and Meghan markle on great content reed hastings the ceo said he thinks it's going to be the most watched and viewed content of the year whenever they put it out there's still great stories for a lot of these tech names and still will continue. Uh, but yeah, there's been a little bit of pullback, but I don't think it's necessarily bad or it's the end of the world. It's just na the nature of investing is, you know, there's ups and downs. People have been really spoiled. We've been really spoiled in the market, especially the people that got in in March. If you've seen, been in here longer, you've seen the ebbs and flows of the market. But the people that got in March only th saw things go up and everyone was like a buffet in their mind because they just kept making printing and money. But now we're seeing that it's not just that easy. There is ups and downs within the market in some situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And it's good perspective to have because like. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, investing is a long-term game for the most part, so you can't get caught up in the day-to-day you know, if you're this type of person that's like logging into your brokerage accounts or your retirement accounts every day, you're just causing yourself a whole lot of unnecessary stress. Mm -hmm. Like you do not need to be on top of it like that. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm curious, what final words do you have for beginner investors if they're still on the fence, like they want to get involved, but they're not sure? What, what final piece of advice would you want to share with them? Sure. I definitely think people should get involved. I think there's two types of people. People that want to learn, do it themselves, and people that want someone to manage it. And I love working with people that want someone to manage it. So one, if you're someone that wants someone to help with it, you're, you're interested, you want to build your wealth, you want to build prosperity over long term, you want to have your money um, beat uh, the cost of, uh, beat inflation over time, then I'm someone that you, I would definitely want to reach out to you and I will plug you know, all the ways you can reach me in a second. But yes, I think there's two types of people, people that want someone to help them, people that want to learn about it. If you're on the other side, you want to learn about it. Yeah, I would do research. Again, people discount how much research and things are needed as far as to be, you know, really, you know, strong at this. So do your research, dig in, don't be worried, um, you know, find places that you really like content from. Like I put out podcasts because I just like to. So find the places that you like the content from that resonates with you uh, and, and go with that so that you can like keep tapping in, keep learning, read. There's always, always places to read. I like literally have all the apps downloaded, like where you can get the headlines, like CNBC, I got to plug them because they've been so helpful to me. Uh, that area, you know, you have everything. There's investing sites. There's so much stuff that you can learn from people that resonate with you. And then, yeah, and then go ahead and dive in. There's nothing really to be worried about don't feel like you shouldn't um be in, involved in this i think everyone should be i think we all are in an opportunity to grow and personally develop and investing is one of those ways to do that i love that so you touched on your podcast can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah yep yeah the your money your life podcast is just something where i do weekly um, I just talk about finance news in the first portion. I talk about a finance roundtable where I just talk about a tough subject that hit me during the week. I don't know. I just like randomly think about it. I write it down. I'm like, oh, people did ask about buying bonds. So I'll talk about that. Or people ask about, you know, options trading and, and like all that stuff. So I talk about that. And so, yeah, it's, it's just fun. Sometimes I also interview people as well. So um, it's just fun way to put out context for people to get literacy. Because I think like you're doing the literacy should be for free. I don't charge when I even work with people I don't really charge for literacy I charge more for my investment management uh but literacy is where I think it really should just be people that are just you know learning growing together because there's so much information out there that people don't know and people want to know so that's that's why I do that I love that all right Delano this has been an amazing conversation so for people that want to find out more about you and follow your journey where can we find you for sure yeah so Instagram um Twitter and all these areas are the same. So it's Delano Sapporo. That's D-E-L-A-N-O. Sapporo is S-A-P is in Peter O-R-U. Yeah, I'm on like Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those areas. Uh, the podcast is Your Money, Your Life podcast with Delano Sapporo. But yeah, I'm really happy for one joining. This has been, I love what you're doing. W weren't you rated as one of the better podcasts of, of, of new podcasts or something like that? I saw that. So it was just nominated for a Plutus Award for Best New Personal Finance Podcast. So Sick. let's see what happens. I think the award ceremony is next month. Keep your fingers yeah, crossed, y'all. I will, please. Like, <laughs> if we can vote for it, I don't know. Are we able to vote or is it just I don't panel? know. They haven't given me details. I don't know if it's like a panel that chooses it. Um, but the nominations were actually like um, listener-based. So I just to be Sick. nominated says enough to me that like we're doing something valuable so i'm super excited about that and i'm super excited about everything that you do definitely follow your money your life podcast um and just thank you for sharing this time with us i think you know investing is such an important topic when we're thinking about building wealth first gen 
people of color, like this is not something that we grew up talking about. So the more voices we have in this space that look and sound like us, the better. So thank you for all the work that you do. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I hope you guys love this episode. I am super impressed with everything that Delano has been able to accomplish personally and professionally at the tender age of 31. The fact that he founded his own investment advisory firm and is using his passion for finance to educate and empower people of color, millennials, and people who traditionally just are ignored by the financial industry, I think that's super powerful. And I hope that you learned a lot in this episode about the many different technical aspects of investing. I think the most important thing that you can do as a beginner investor is to continuously learn. There is so much information out there and there's so much to learn that it can feel overwhelming. But as you begin to break down these topics and learn about them and implement them in your life, you just begin to grow. And that's why we're here. We literally exist. This podcast literally exists to empower you to make decisions that are going to help you change the financial trajectory of you and your family's life. So part of building generational wealth means also investing in knowledge. So I hope this podcast episode helped you to do that. If you're loving this podcast and you're ready to take your dinero to the next level, make sure you check out the YQD community. This community is a Patreon membership community that gets you exclusive access to the Yo Quiero Dinero Slack group. You get access to Janice and other subscribers to help you accomplish your money goals Plus, get free exclusive access to all YQD live events and monthly meetups with Janice and other guests from the podcast. You get a free t-shirt, 50% off private one-on-one coaching, and more. To find out more, head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com and check out our Patreon community subscription options. You can also head over to Patreon.com slash YoQuieroDineroPodcast for more information or go to our Instagram and click on the link in our bio. As a reminder, if you're loving the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast, please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. That way, amazing listeners like you can find us too. We want everybody out here being poderosa with their money. And so if they know about us, they can start doing that too. If you don't already follow us on social media, make sure that you follow the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and even TikTok. Yep, we're doing TikToks too. And don't forget to visit the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast blog, where you can find episode show notes, as well as personal finance articles, news about events, and more. Until next time, guys, stay curious, stay hungry, stay invested, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. 
Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.